The news cycle is churning even for May around the Big Ten and for Iowa included. Welcome to our Hawkeye show that we deliver each and every Tuesday. Bring those comments and questions. Produce the show for us here at the Voice of College Football. As always, it's uh, myself and Corey Bratta from the Hawkeye of the Storm. Get on over there to the from the Hawkeye of the Storm right here on YouTube to check out Corey's work. Corey, how are you doing today? Doing good, Mark. Um, I saw Cole. I see him in, a, in the uh, chat. I saw he tagged me earlier today that uh, Nebraska got transfer commitment number 15 in this cycle. Wide receiver from Texas. So he'll reunite with his old quarterback um, for the Big Red. So uh, I don't know if that was Cole rubbing it in that uh, Nebraska is doing well in the transfer portal. I, I've We've talked about that in the past. We know Nebraska also had to use the portal because they lost a lot of guys, right? So there's that argument to be made as well. Iowa had the least number of players, although they did lose somebody else. Uh, that's something we haven't brought up. Um, it actually just broke yesterday. Um, and that is the entry of a Wyatt Wegener, linebacker slash athlete, um, walk-on. Entered the portal, so that brings Iowa's number this cycle to seven. Wegener had not played, um, I don't believe, at all. Um, he's been here two years. I'm assuming he he has four years of eligibility remaining, according to what he put out. So, you know, I guess I suppose he could have played four games last year on special teams. I don't believe he did. Um, best of best of wishes to him. We've had two um, over the past month, two Iowa walk-ons transferring out, which I guess that's happened in the past. I I don't recall I, I guess it's that's an interesting topic mark do you have any opinions on walk-ons like what would be the reason why as a walk-on who's probably not going to get playing time at this level anywhere but just to go down a level and have a chance at playing time why, why would you leave especially if you're not in in-state kid like Wyatt Wegener well I got to say that I've always been fascinated by the walk-on's decision to go to a major program I never quite understood that myself, having just a small, small glimpse of what the agony is in terms of football. Football is a difficult sport. It's not what I would term to be a fun sport. The fun is in the playing, but the practicing, it's not shooting back. And, and I'm not discounting the drudgery of a baseball or a basketball practice and fill in other sports. Those are the three that I'm most familiar with, but you know, you're not getting in a batter's box, swinging a bat. You're not throwing a ball around. You're not, there are few positions that actually touch the football on a regular basis. So it takes a lot of dedication to play football. And I just always wondered about those guys that would make a decision to go to an Iowa when they, if, if you can walk on and stay on the field during practice with that caliber of player and, and have to hit and run after a lot of guys that are going to play at the next level, you can certainly play at a lot of different places and actually play. And, um, but so, so I've always been fascinated with that decision in and of itself. So I would think, yes, that that particular players come to a determination that, um, Hey, I would like to see the field. I gave it a shot right. and, uh, my, my I wasn't quite able to capture my dream. I will say this. I mean, I, there are a lot of young athletes, Mark, probably more than you and I both realize that, especially the ones that come to Iowa that believe, Hey, I can come here as a walk on and earn my way on. I mean, there's a lot of players who have done that. Think about some of the safeties, and I don't have an active list. I should probably go back and, and trace that back through the beginning of the Kirk era. But all the different safeties and defensive backs that have earned their way um, from being a walk-on to being a scholarship player. Um, Cole Fisher is one that comes to mind. Uh, linebacker who was instrumental during that 2015 undefeated season, who, by the way, Levi of uh, SB Nation called that a fraud season, I believe, last week. But uh, Cole Fisher was huge as a senior. I believe he started out as a walk-on, I think. Um, I could be wrong on that. But they've had a number of walk-ons that have proven their worth. And uh, so, again, best of wishes to Wyatt Wegener. I don't know the kid personally. I know he's an in-state kid. Um, but probably wasn't going to play anyways. Maybe could have competed for special teams duties, which we know are important. But best of wishes to him moving forward. Um, we know Mark, and we've talked about this. We can discuss it here for a moment. I've talked about it on my show. Iowa did gain another 
athlete from the state of Iowa. It seems like every week we come on here, we talk about these athletes and their zero star to three star status as of, as of right now with few offers. And that's not, nothing to knock them with. It's just, uh, it's just a fact. So um, this week you have the kid from Harlan um, whose name escapes me. I'm drawing a blank all of a sudden. Um, Aiden Hall. Thank you. Aiden Hall. <laughs> Aiden Hall commits. Uh, I understand they project him more to be a linebacker. When I watch him on tape, and I wasn't real familiar with him, he's from Harlan, Iowa, and a lot of diehard Iowa fans will know Harlan, uh, hometown of former Iowa Hayden Fry uh, player Michael Berger, who uh, played four years at Iowa. Um, of course, former uh, kid, the guy from uh, Indiana State. Man, my mind is not working yet today, Mark. I've been staring at Bird all day. <laughs> you're close no the 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 uh i talked about this on my show the the head coach for indiana state he was just relieved of his duties last year anyways i can't think of his name he was an assistant under steve alford at iowa back in the early 2000s he's from harlan so it's a small community but it does have some rich sports history um but the point is perhaps you know this is another kind of a cinderella story for a small town kid that had very few offers he did just earn an offer from minnesota he had offers from Air Force, from Army. Um, so that would give you an idea of what kind of a kid this is. Probably, you know, perceived to be a real physically, uh, physical tough kid, you know, even though he's from a small town. I watched him on tape, and I, I said during our during the segment earlier this week that his athleticism is not going to blow you out of the water by any means. Um, but again, I, I trust Phil Parker, Seth Wallace, whether he plays linebacker or he plays defensive back, those two guys have been terrific. Um, I'll be honest, I get a little nervous when, and we don't see this as much probably for that very reason, but I would get a little bit nervous if Brian Ferentz is, you know, looking at, a, at an athlete and saying, we're going to play this guy at receiver. Cause I just don't know that I have a lot of faith in Brian Ferentz and Kelton Copeland to, to the extent that I do with Seth Wallace and Phil Parker. So he just had an offer from Minnesota. That's good news. I know Iowa state and Wisconsin were in on him again. Those are the, your, those are the typical schools that are involved with these in-state kids. But I was doing very well. This is a topic that we can discuss down the road as we get closer and closer to signing day. But 23, they're doing very well. 24, they're dominating in the state of Iowa. Now, we'll see where ratings and rankings shake out. And, of course, kids can change their minds. they got plenty of time to make uh, to change a decision before the 2024 signing day. But uh, Iowa's doing well in the state of Iowa, and that's always a positive thing. Um, so we'll just see. We'll just wait and see. I want to just say this real quick, Mark. Our friend here who uh, comes on here to to uh, trash us both, Mark. It's just funny that he keeps showing up and he, he keeps trolling every week, Mark. I just find it hilarious that he continues to show up uh, to our show, even though he apparently hates what we do. So we'll give him any more than, than that spotlight, Mark. But no, good news to see another in-state kid coming to Iowa and these small towns. There's always success stories. So uh, just, just positive, positivity. So you have to wonder whether... This is a strategy to go after more diverse type athletes. They're all athletes. So when Corey says athlete, that that is a designation for you people that don't follow any recruiting at all. That's a designation like quarterback, running back, wide receiver, et cetera. Athlete. If they're they're looking for just more uh, flexibility and where they could assign these players or um, it's just coincidence. I'll say this. I, I've had that in my title for my video the other day. Versatility. That's what that is exactly what um, this kid's going to give you. And probably a lot of these athletes. And that's the like you said, the epitome of being an athlete and be able to to move them around. But this kid, I, I, I mean, I could see him foreseeably. I, I mentioned that in the video, too. If he grows another inch or two, you know, he could possibly be a tight end. I mean, he plays playing receiver in high school, so he's got the hands. Um I certainly would trust Brian Ferentz to to see tight end potential, um, but again, you know, I, I I think you're onto something there. I think the versatility and being able to move these kids around, um, we've seen changes. I mean, I think of Ronnie Harmon, you know, uh, I think a lot of a lot of examples of guys who have changed positions and been very very successful at Iowa, not only under um, Hayden Fry but under Kirk Ferentz. You know, Marvin McNutt was a, a wide receiver at one time moves to, or excuse me a quarterback moves to wide receiver very successful career so uh, it is possible to have those moves on offense we haven't seen it as much probably as as on defense um we know that tyler linderbaum was a defensive lineman he moves over to uh, center and is one of the best centers to ever play the game 
possibly, in the, at least in the Big Ten. Maybe that's hyperbole. We'll see. Um, and then you can say the same thing about Jones, who's switching over to the offensive line this year. So, um, yeah, it's just going to be interesting to see. They got a lot of development with these kids, but uh, the potential's there. And they're, it, man, they're getting in on these kids a lot earlier than I would have ever expected. If you told me 10 years ago that they'd have how many commitments for 2024 already, I'd have told you you're crazy. But that's just recruiting now, as you know. And um, we haven't had to listen. We've talked about NIL plenty with college basketball. We haven't talked about it as much with college football because I really don't know how it's going to affect Kirk Ferentz specifically. I mean, obviously he doesn't like NIL. Um, You know, I don't think he likes the transfer portal. I think that's clear, but you know, (laughs) well, I mean, isn't, isn't that true, Mark? (laughs) He doesn't like the transfer portal. Uh, But I guess my point is, you know, these kids, these in-state kids, you don't need an NIL to get them. You just don't. And and so can Kirk Ferentz just continue to grab these developmental kids? I mean, will NIL almost pass him over? You know what I'm saying? Like he's not he, being a developmental school. You don't really need a bunch of four and five star kids. Iowa hasn't been able to get a lot of four and five star kids. And frankly, they don't they don't go after a lot of four and five star kids. They were able to uh, grab Wampa last year, which was great. I think they're in good position to get grab Caden Proctor this year. But NIL is going to do one of two things. Either it's going to drive guys like Ferentz out of the game, or I think it's actually going to help. It's actually going to uh, kind of change the landscape above Iowa, even things out a bit bit more than, than they are now. We've seen that with Alabama and Saban complaining. And these developmental schools can just keep humming along, Iowa, Wisconsin, et cetera. It'll be interesting to see. If the sources I've drawn from concerning NIL and what the truth is about these contracts and these deals and the dollar signs, it's certainly a factor and will continue to be a factor and will increase as a factor. But I think we're being caught too many times by the largest dollar signs and the aberration of the handful of players that are able to command a large, large amount of money. Uh, The bulk of the NIL situation is a a sizable amount of money that uh, few people would sneeze at, but we're not talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars, let alone millions of dollars. We're talking about guys that are able to, you know, I I saw some figures recently, and again, I I trust the source that... um, you know, the majority of deals we're talking about are in the hundreds of dollars, low thousands of dollars uh, for some type of exchange of appearing on a podcast or, you know, posting on social media, doing those sorts of things. So, yeah, if a if a student athlete is targeted uh, for Iowa and they love the program, they love the culture, the coaching staff, the relationships they've built They've always wanted to be a Hawkeye and, you know, they have a couple opportunities out there to go elsewhere and the NIL opportunities are, you know, a thousand dollars more than, you know, again, it's a factor and will continue to be and probably increase as a factor. But I think we've been swayed a little too much by the one in a, I won't say a million, one in a couple thousand type deals. I'll say this too, Mark, and I'm not going to trash Levi since he's not here. You know, he doesn't have, he doesn't, he's not able to defend himself. We're going to get him back on, right? I mean, before we're, <laughs> we're probably going to get him I back hope on so. before the uh, season. For my entertainment, if nothing else. Sure. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so, so here's the deal. He made a couple comments I want to address. So, in editing and and getting some footage ready for for release, I noticed he he was defending the Big Twelve. And, you know, he was talking about the Big Twelve being collectively better than the Big Ten, right? He said there's more percentage wise, there's more there's more good teams in the Big Twelve than there are the Big Ten. Let me just address that. I brought up Minnesota at the time, all right, and I said, well, you know, he, he made a uh, comment about Minnesota. I just said, well, look, Minnesota finished nine and four, beat Wisconsin blew out West Virginia, who, by the way, is in the Big 12. Well, his rebuttal was, well, Virginia was West Virginia was trash this year. And I'm thinking, doesn't that prove my point? <laughs> like, yeah, they had like records. And if you're calling them garbage, doesn't that sort of prove our point? 
Sure, it does. <laughs> I, I would say that it was a bit of a stretch. I'm going to stick up for Levi slightly. Yes, there was a bowl matchup, which should be like seeding, like records. Minnesota was a was a what was West Virginia's record? Were they seven? They were and six five? and six, and six Minnesota and six. was eight and four sure. going into the game. So, yeah. there's a difference there, but it, it, the game wasn't close. I mean, we know that the game was not close. I wouldn't call it a blowout. It was Minnesota well, had it under control. It's eighteen to six. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it never. I remember watching that game. It was a late, late, late night game. And yeah. I remember thinking, I have no, I have no, I'm what? Because of course I was rooting for Minnesota. I had no fear in West Virginia yeah. coming back in that game. It just I never felt like they had any chance of coming back. But yeah. I do want to address something else, and this is more directed towards you. Levi made a comment about non, a tough non-conference schedules, and mm. if Iowa State could ever, you know, to make that boring schedule less boring, could you ever schedule another? Um power five team with the nine game conference schedule plus Iowa. Could you schedule another one? And, and he had said, well, even Alabama and the bit powers don't do it. You said there are exceptions to that rule. There are examples. Who are the examples, Mark? Who are the examples of programs that play nine conference games and schedule two power five teams out of conference? So that's my challenge to you. Okay. Do you want them off the top of my head? Yeah. Okay. I just don't know. I mean, I really well, I want to well, be educated. You restricted me out of the gate to the nine conference schedule, the the nine conference uh, games. Right. So you've you've eliminated. Well, that's what we the were talking ACC about. The ACC and the SEC. So right. you've eliminated. Well, <laughs> I mean, isn't that the whole point here? You, you, the Big Ten. Okay. Any SEC school like you know Kentucky is the one of the few exceptions that they don't do it right. I mean they. They literally have eight conference games, play Louisville, and then play three cupcakes, which is ridiculous. Yep. That's absolutely ridiculous. But it's smart because they get some to, you know, Mark Stoops, is, his job is safe there. Um, but I guess what I'm asking is, you know, the Big Ten uh, and any conference, that the Big 12 that play nine conference games, they are playing. They are, they are doing what those other SEC schools are doing. They're playing eight plus two, right? They're just, they're just formulating it nine plus one. They're playing... 10 power five opponents. And my, my, I just gathered from what you said last week that you were, and maybe I interpreted what you said wrong, but I thought you were implying that there are exceptions. There are examples of schools that are playing 11 power five teams. Oh, there are who absolutely there are. Okay. Who Stanford's done it. You can go back through their schedule. They had a, they had a schedule a few years ago where they not only played 11 power fives, but their 12th game was against UCF when UCF was better than three quarters of the Power Fives. They played a Notre Dame Northwestern UCF non conference schedule. This was about three to four years ago. USC played, listen to this schedule, in addition to the Pac 12 for nine games, they played a, they had scheduled in 2020 Notre Dame, Alabama, and Fresno State, who, again, is almost like a power five and better than a lot of power fives. I'm not saying it's I'm not saying it's um, it's common, but if you would have given me the the SEC and the ACC, then I would have shown you that it is common to schedule two difficult power fives. Sure. And I, and I knew I was aware of that. But I, OK, so I, I first of all, you. Thank you for informing me of this because I just looked it up. 2019, Mark is right. They Stanford played Northwestern, opened with Northwestern, went at USC, at UCF. Now, who was the other? Notre Dame. When was that? Oh, the last game of the season. Okay. Okay. So that's a, that's a, <laughs> that's that's a, a schedule. Well, but let's just say and this. And I'm not demanding that, Pete, that the team schedule like that. Well, let me let me just say this, though. We have to remember that the Pac-12, you have said this, that the Pac-12 is not even close. It's it's behind every other Power 5 conference. It's the worst conference. Right. So, I know I'm now I'm moving the 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 line here, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm doing. I'm moving the line. That's fine. I'm admitting that. I'm not that. blaming Iowa State. I'm just saying they play the the most boring schedule. Yes. Okay, so is there an example? This is an honest question. Is there an example of a Big Ten or Big Twelve team that 
does that? Because you just gave me Stanford. Ohio State's got a couple schedules that are pretty serious coming up. They've got Notre Dame and Washington on two schedules coming up. They do? Yes. And what years are those? Because we may go back to eight games. They're coming up soon. Is that them preparing for us to go back to eight games? Possibly, I don't know. Uh, also understand that uh, before about five years ago that Michigan was playing, of course, Notre Dame every year, and that didn't preclude them from scheduling other Power 5 games. They would schedule UCLA, Washington, Oregon, non-conference, in addition to Notre Dame. And so would Michigan State at times and Purdue. During eight-game conference schedules. Probably at that point, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, Iowa, listen, Mark, Iowa played in 2010, they played Iowa State and Arizona. 2015, they played Pitt and Iowa State. They did that regularly. Okay. I don't know anybody else who does what Kentucky does. Maybe you can tell me that. I don't oh, know anybody yes. else who does that. Why would you do that? And who's doing it? And why is that allowed? There are teams worse want. than that. There are teams that are scheduled worse than that. Look at, now Baylor has picked up BYU recently. They played them the last two years. Well, they played them last year and coming up this year. Baylor has had schedules which they didn't play any Power Fives. They well, played like Sam Houston State, yes. Lamar, Rice, and and so that's what. And I remember Utah. that's what bothered me in fifteen of Colin Cowherd going after Iowa when you have the likes of Baylor doing that. Iowa, you know, he's going after Iowa because you played Pittsburgh and Iowa State, but again, very few teams. There, are you saying, were there ever teams that played back when during the eight-game conference schedule in the Big Ten? Do you recall there being teams that played three non-conference Power Five opponents? Well, it would have been four, right? No, are power you Five didn't play a Power Five. No, 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 played oh, three. Played gotcha. three. No. Okay. So, and 2015 was one of the last years that uh, we had the eight-game conference schedule. So, and, and one of the issues, one of the issues with Iowa, of course, is that. For so long, Iowa State was awful. So if you're going to lock that in as your Power 5 opponent, it's just not going to look very impressive. But it has to be played. It does. Yeah, it absolutely does. And I'm not – that's one thing that some people, some Iowa fans will say, you know, we need to get rid of that series. I've never – at one point towards the end of the Paul Rhodes era, I think I did make a comment that could have been interpreted as, as, you know, wanting to get rid of it. Um, because let's be honest, Iowa state was just not very competitive for a long time. Um, and so, but no, and now with, with Campbell, as long as Campbell's there, that series needs to stay in place. And I don't think anybody can claim as long as the big 10 stays with nine teams, the big 10 goes back to eight. It's going to open the door for criticism unless Iowa goes out and schedules Notre Dame. It's going out and schedules Texas and Oklahoma. If they go schedule Pitt, well, Pitt was good last year, but for the most part, Pitt's not been a program that you probably, that really helps the strength of schedule. Um, they need to go schedule some some big boys. So we'll see what happens with scheduling. I know that's been an ongoing conversation, and, and there's a lot of speculation. So we'll see what happens. Well, one team that's on the schedule for 2022 in the third week of the season that uh, visits Iowa City is no pushover in that the last time I recall Nevada taking on a Big Ten team, Rondell Moore and company ventured out uh, to take on the Wolfpack and were upset as a double-digit uh, favorite a few years ago. And we've got... Um, Duke Rittenhouse on the line from the Reno Gazette Journal to talk some Nevada football with us. Duke, how are you doing today? Hopefully you can hear us. Duke, how are you? Can you hear us, Duke? Guys, I can't hear you. Oh, he can't hear us, but we can hear him. That is not good. Yeah. We are unmuted. Is your volume up, Duke? Uh, I wonder if he can see one of our chat messages. Let him know to, to click out and come back in. Sometimes that corrects the issue. Well, while we're getting that figured out... Um, do appreciate Duke being here. Nevada is a good program. And as, as a lot of Iowa fans know, Jay Norvell just left. That would have been a really cool 
uh, matchup because you would have had, uh, you know, an Iowa guy in Jay Norvell, um, you know, being able to return home to Kinnick. Um, but Jay Norvell moves on to Colorado State, and now you have uh, a situation where I don't really know what to expect from him. I'm anxious to talk to him. I hope we can figure out Duke's uh, audio issues because I'm anxious to get his perspective. Iowa also benefited from a transfer portal guy. You'll recall this back during that uh, – 2017 season when Iowa beat Ohio State one of the two running backs in that game was James Butler who was a Nevada transfer so that's right some kind of interesting uh... Duke are you with us hello Duke Duke is guys can you hear me yes yes we can hear you you cannot hear us I can't hear you I'm sorry very odd my volume is all the way up very strange well, yeah, it's some type of setting, unfortunately. I will see. Um, I will see if he's able to join maybe on a different device that will likely fix the problem. So I'll uh, see if I can get a link over to his phone. Okay. See if I'll let you do that and uh, look at a few of the comments and questions here. Cole brings up the Big Ten uh, dropping divisions, and that's certainly uh, a topic that Corey and I, I don't know if we'll get to it today. We shall see, uh, but we definitely want to dig deep into uh, Big Ten scheduling format, uh, the move by the Pac-12 to abolish divisions and go to a one versus two seed for the Big Ten cha- or the Pac-12 championship game, and the likelihood that other conferences will do it, maybe or maybe not the Big Ten. But I think it's a fascinating topic, and it could greatly impact. Uh, Big Ten championship play going forward. I posted a video the other day where I went through the history of the Big Ten championship game going back to 2011 and how many times who would have had a different matchup in the conference championship game. How many different times? Uh, I don't have the numbers in front of me. I believe it was, uh, let's see, 2011 through 21, we would have had what? 12 Big Ten championship games. I think it was uh, six and six was the split. Were you uh, surprised it would have been the same and six different? I'm surprised. I'm actually surprised it's not more lopsided. Are you surprised yeah. that the Pac-12 made a point of releasing that in their press release? Because I was a bit surprised that they they did that. I, I to me, what what's the point of going back? I and mean, to me, you're diminishing those division champions that made. Well, they're it not there. going to have divisions. I understand, but I'm I'm talking about in the past. They went back and said, "Well, had this change occurred, oh, they do what you just did with the with the Big Ten. And I was well, yeah. Surprised I, that- I don't think any conference would want to bring to light that their previous well, championship games that's are what they did. invalid in some way. That is what the Pac-12 did, and I thought it was very strange. But you're right; it would change. The- and let's be honest it's a it's bad for the for Iowa. Oh yeah, it is. It's bad for Iowa, but Mark, it's fair. Okay, it's fair. Well, that's the first thing I want to hear from you is your your assessment. So, so you yeah. well I, are okay I, with it. I, I here's what I I like divisions, but I would rather us redistribute divisions. Okay, here's what I think would be a good decision. Why don't we yeah. redistribute divisions every five years? We can literally redistribute divisions every five years. We make schedules up five years at a time. Okay, all right. So when the pendulum swings a certain direction, you can be ready for that. What would be the harm in, in doing that? You're able to put Ohio State in the West. But division championship is a division championship regardless. Let's give uh, Duke another shot here. Hopefully he can join us. Hi, Duke, guys. You us. Can you hear us, Duke? <laughs> I can. I can. Tremendous. Sorry, but I'm not sure what was that, but I'm going to guess. Let's just say it was my end and we can move on. Uh, Ed says. Right. Ed in the chat says, uh, "I guess what happens in Reno stays in Reno." Yeah, no, <laughs> or what happens when you technology is maybe a little beyond you? I don't know. Absolutely. But this is no. This is great. This is clear as a bell. Perfect. Well, I appreciate you joining us, Duke. Uh, and Mark, if you don't mind, I'll I'm gonna want to ask Duke a question first because, you know, the the main theme of this game in, in late mid September, I should say, at least from an Iowa perspective, is the departure of Jay Norvell who, of course, has strong Iowa connections. Um, what do we expect? I mean, how, how would you describe maybe spring ball and, and what Iowa fans should expect from a now Norvell-less Nevada, as I tweeted out earlier? Yeah, um, yeah I mean, there's just so many questions. In terms of the, um, <clears throat> the on-the-field product, 
it's more questions than answers right now. Um, <clears throat> you know, the attitude around around the program, it took a while. They got blown out in their bowl game, and then it took a while for, okay, those guys are gone. Jay left, a couple of coaches left, like 22 players, 19, it, a lot left. And it took a while, but then it was, okay, these guys are gone. And we need to stop feeling sorry for ourselves and worrying about that, and then we need to be Nevada. So that took a bit. <clears throat> so by the time spring ball rolled around, you know, new coach, new coordinators, new quarterback, new everything. I think it took a while to get going. Um, I think, you know, given the the nature of the game being in September and all that, I mean, Iowa's going to be a gigantic favorite, and rightfully so. Um, and it'll be uh, it'll be Ken Wilson, the new head coach. It'll be his first. I mean, it's it's a huge test for kind of a new group of people. I, I did mention this to Mark before you jumped on, but uh, one connection that I find I, I always love looking back and, and finding these player or coach connections between the two programs, especially with non-conference opponents. Um, James Butler, Iowa benefited yeah. greatly from James yeah. Butler several years back, really helped during a, a pretty darn good season, a season which, in which Iowa uh, dominated Ohio State uh, famously mm-hmm. in Kinnick. Uh, and James Butler was a big part of that tandem with him and Akram Wadley. Um, what do you remember about James Butler at Nevada? Mm-hmm. And was that, uh, w- was that a blow to the Wolfpack at the time? You know, when I think of, I mean, this is probably oversimplifying it, but when I think of Butler, I think of kind of pre-transfer portal guy and then a post-transfer portal thing. He was a pre-portal guy. I mean, he was an era, he was the end of an era where players did transfer, but it wasn't quite as common. And then there was always, oh, you might have to sit out or, you know, you don't know really what's on the other side because um, there's not this big database, this portal where, you know, it seems like everyone's jumping in, maybe looking for something better. So, yeah, he was a reliable, strong running back for Nevada. And, um, you know, at the time, really wasn't aware that he was unhappy or anything. Um, it, was a, it was a big blow. You know, the, Nevada prides itself on, it kind of has a reputation as a passing offense, but does pride itself on the running game. So that was a little bit unexpected. And then as you mentioned, he did a, he did a fine job for Iowa. I mean, he went from, you know, a, a smaller West coast conference into the, the big 10 and did, I thought he did a fine job, but, but <clears throat> I was just thinking of him before I signed on. And I was thinking, you know, in this day and age, he would just be a transfer portal guy, you know, probably one of many, but at the time, you know, that Nevada team only lost a couple guys to transfer. It seems like a different world now. It does, and and I'll say this too. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but Butler actually came here, and I, I assumed it was because of the coaching change. Because correct me if I'm wrong, but Norvell took over in '17, which is when Butler left, right? Yeah. So Jay's first year, '17, '18, '19. Jay's first year would have been 2017. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, who knows there? And you know, as as much as demand as Jay is in now, you know, that first year, boy, they were one and seven at one point and had lost to Idaho State. And I mean, people were like, can this guy coach football? So, I mean, you know, maybe, maybe Butler thought he saw some of that, you know, that I don't know what this guy's doing. I don't know what he's about and I'm going to go yeah. somewhere else. Well, and, and I did find it interesting too, Mark, because you and I have had a lot of discussion about Iowa and transfer portal hesitancy. And I don't even think we, was it even the portal at the time you said it was post it really wasn't yeah. even called the transfer portal at the time, correct? The portal, uh, <clears throat> I believe the portal was October of 2018, I want to say, yeah. that, it, that it went live. And um, one day, it was funny, one day there wasn't a portal, and then the next day there was. And I believe it was October. Of- and there are very few examples of, of Kirk Ferentz, Mark, taking a skill position player in the portal. I mean, we see it with Steven Stilianos this year. We've seen it with Makai Sargent and, and James Butler, but... Um, I was always fascinated by, by Butler's decision to come here, and it's a guy that Iowa could really benefit from this year. But, uh, Mark, do you have anything to add? I don't want to kind of take over. Well, the uh, the addition of Ken Wilson taking over the program, uh, was that expected? How well was that received uh, with no head coaching experience? He does come with a long litany of uh, pretty impressive uh, defensive roles, uh, you know, most recently at Oregon. Um, yeah, you know, it. There's been a couple of split reactions. I think mostly positive. He um, was a longtime assistant here, and he was an assistant under Chris Alt, who you know is uh, is um, our I don't know. He's our Niall Kinnick, and you know 
Chris Alt can walk on a lot of water. And so being an alt guy didn't, didn't hurt him. He, um, he's a Nevada guy. Um, you know, the big thing is, especially with Jay leaving is Ken has come in and said straight up, and he'll say this to your face. I want people who want to be here. And if, if, you know, if you're thinking you want to go somewhere else or coach somewhere else or whatever, you know, you've got to go, you've got to get out of here. So it's, you know, silver and blue, it's Nevada Wolfpack. It's, you know, everyone's got to row this boat the same direction. And so his Nevada background helps. It also helped, I think, reaction-wise that he does have the Washington State and the Oregon experience. Um, that That's really good credentials. And then, like you mentioned, of course, if you're going to be a doubter, you're going to say zero head coaching experience. I mean, the guy is, he's got to be late 50s, you know, and no head coaching experience, and, and which is ironically kind of like Jay Norvell. Um, so this is two coaches in a row. They're getting their first shot here. So there's some hesitancy. I mean, I think there's also a little bit of hangover from a couple of things. One, last year's team was a fine team, but it, it frankly underachieved. It should have won the Mountain West. It did not. They got clobbered in their bowl game. Um, and then Jay and a bunch of players left. So a bit of a hangover there, too, where I think you're going to throw some doubt on whoever might come in, whether it's um, a name guy or a, a longtime assistant. So a little of each. Um Interesting. One thing he did was try to open up spring camp a little bit more, more fan, a little bit more fan friendly, a little bit more of the, you know, the promotions and the giveaways and the you can win prizes and, you know, kick a field goal and win ten thousand dollars and all that. He kind of opened that up. Um, I'm kind of make it fun again. And I think he's trying to connect with the fan base. So I'm guessing that the notoriety of Carson Strong playing there probably can't be taken advantage of like it typically could have because of the coaching change. What is the story behind Carson Strong? Did he kind of slip by the the power five level and then kind of miss out on the evaluation or how did that um, take place? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, you know, he, um, so Nevada was his only offer. Um, and he, you know, he came here and enrolled early and did that whole thing and was very loyal to Nevada for his, including redshirt year, his four seasons here. Um, he got hurt as a senior in high school playing basketball. And um, so actually, sorry, I'm going to back that up a year. He got hurt as a junior and didn't play football as a senior. That's the way that goes. And some, some schools that were maybe thinking of offering said, this guy's not even playing. He got hurt. Um, you, you know, we don't know that much about him. And there was no offers forthcoming um nevada offered him fairly early stuck with it kept with the offer so i think that explains a lot of the the two-way loyalty there between the program and the player um and actually it took carson a while to develop you know even in the what would it have been it would have been 2019 even in the 2019 season he was not the starter he was in a three-way battle um and uh his comical to, you know, to think back on it, it's just pure comedy because obviously he should have been the starter. But he was behind a fifth-year guy who almost never played, and he was behind Malik Henry, who you might remember from the Netflix show, um, who, you know, really could throw the ball but had some other issues. Florida Carson, State guy, right? Yeah, he was what? Florida State guy. Yeah. So he was Florida State, I believe, then junior college, and then um, Netflix, and then Nevada. And um, he played in two games. And anyway, it took Carson a while to, to get the role, and full-time role. And, you know, at the time, I remember thinking, no, I mean, I don't see this guy as an NFL draft pick, you know, just in – I mean, I, I don't know, trying to project it in the future. And like I said, in hindsight, it seems ridiculous because they should have made him a starter. And, and it, you know, much like you'll have to do in the NFL, he's, he's constantly had to prove himself. Um, so – yeah, to, to, to the beginning part of your question, right, the the benefit of, oh, hey, Carson played for us, a little bit of that's going to be lost. Like there was no – there was some quarterback recruiting, but it's hard to say how that's going to – you know, we didn't get – we didn't get the four-star kid from New York or something. I mean, you know, it, there was just too much chaos around the program. Duke, I want to ask you, the schedule um, mm -hmm. I, I find interesting. So – 
uh, for anybody that doesn't know, uh, Nevada opens with New Mexico State on the road, Texas State, and Incarnate Word. Incarnate Word, um, pretty darn good FCS program, although they lose uh, Cameron Ward to Washington State. Um, you you brought up the fact that they're going to be heavy underdogs coming to Iowa. Iowa will be coming off a pretty big showdown with Iowa State the week prior. Um but honestly, I look at the schedule. I'll just be frank with you, Duke. I look at the schedule, and this is Iowa's most winning – I think most winnable game. Now, if, yeah. if if Nevada players heard me say that, they should take severe umbrage to that comment because Iowa opens with South Dakota State from the FCS. But I think yeah. South Dakota State's dangerous. But I think Nevada is more dangerous than maybe we're going to make them out to be. You brought up the fact that Nevada likes to throw the football. I'm assuming that's not going to change under Wilson. Um What's his? Uh, yeah. what, what are sort of his principle for offense? Um, a little bit. I think it will be a change. One thing is, you know, Carson, Carson's gone. And for three years, you could count on him. I mean, the guy literally would drop back 50 even more times a game. And that, that's not going to happen. Um, I mean, the offense was called the air raid. I mean, it, was, it wasn't subtle at all. Um, Ken likes a more balanced. I just talked to him on Thursday. And um, he likes a more balanced attack. He's in. He's a believer in if you don't establish a running game, then everyone's just going to load up on the pass. And, you know, unless you've got, you know, the next Drew Brees back there, you're in big trouble. So they want to establish some sort of run, which, I mean, again, as long as we're all being honest with ourselves, they have one. The Wolfpack has one returning offensive lineman. Are they going to establish any sort of run against a Big Ten defensive line? I'd say I'd say they would need their best day ever to, to do that. So against Iowa, I think you might see some pass because if they come out, let's say their first two series and they go, they don't move the chains, you know, that's going to happen for the rest of the afternoon. If they're not moving the Iowa defensive line back, which <laughs> yeah, I'm doubtful. So I don't know. I think it might be a strange game. The other thing is who's the quarterback. I mean, we have a, a, third year backup to Carson who you know he's a great guy I've talked to him many times and but his claim to fame is he's six foot nine I mean he's the one of the tallest players in division one and um wow he's thrown 46 passes at the division one level some 64 passes and he's completed 46 I think and then we have a backup a guy I've never even met from Oklahoma State who's enrolling in summer school Illingworth yeah so Shane Illingworth so who's the quarterback I mean, this could be a long afternoon. I mean, you mentioned the schedule in order. For Nevada, the the only benefit would come in that Iowa is the fourth of the non-conference games. I mean, they've got to they got to work out some kinks against New Mexico State and that crowd <clears throat> so that they enter the Iowa game with some some confidence, or maybe you know maybe a few players have emerged. Maybe um, Nate Cox, the the big tall quarterback, maybe he's better than I'm giving him credit for. Because I don't know what your game plan is against Iowa if you can't run and you have an unproven quarterback. I mean, what do you hope it's seven nothing? Do you hope to like, you know, take it to the final possession? I have no idea what your game plan is. That's there's no way around it. It's a really it's a tough ask for Nevada right now. Well, Mark, I I think Duke is giving I appreciate first of all, I appreciate Duke you coming on and discussing with us candidly this team, but uh it sounds to me, Mark, like there's some concern from from his standpoint as to how Nevada is going to score points. I will say this, Duke, and, and maybe you were all you're already familiar with this Iowa team, but the one weakness, if there's any wink link to Iowa's defense, it is the defensive line. Contrary to what people coming out of spring ball may want you to believe, the defensive line struggled last year at times. Early in the season, they were able to get pressure on opposing quarterbacks through some stunt action and whatnot, but they don't really have a proven pass rusher. Um, mm. But again, you talked about the attrition on the offensive line. I, I looked through some of the transfer portal action for Nevada, and I counted, maybe I'm wrong on this, but 17 players departing, which seems like a big number because mm. I'm comparing it to Iowa, who now, including walk-ons, is at seven, which is lowest in the country, I believe tied with Baylor. Um, but they do add... I believe a couple, Bryce Peterson from uh, San Jose State, um, Kai Arneson from Oregon um, mm-hmm. along the offensive line. And then I think, uh, am I missing somebody in there, Duke, that you can think of? Uh, along the line, um, 
No, I'm thinking a defensive line. Oh, uh, we actually had a player come back. First time I've ever heard that guy named Zach Welch played for Nevada, left, went to junior college, currently plays for Nevada. So there's a first. I'd never heard of that. He transferred back to his own school. And it appears to me as if, and just again, looking through some of these um, decisions, you know, you got Illingworth from, from Oklahoma state, you got a wide receiver from Arizona. You got a couple kids from, you got several kids, I think four kids I counted from Oregon, which I found interesting. And they're uh, all on, and they're all on offense, all four of them. And then uh, Darian Green Warren from, from Michigan, um, who was, my understanding was pretty highly touted corner coming out of high school. So it seems to me, and again, you'll have to familiar because you're familiar more with the, and I'm sure Mark, you are too, with kind of the way transfer portal recruiting goes at the group of five level, but certainly you benefit from these schools that you've got kids that aren't getting playing time that want to leave as, as, as can embrace that more than maybe Norvell. And is that uh, seems like the transfer portal, of course, you know, it's going to be active the year after head coach leaves, but I mean, um, how, how has Ken, from your estimation, done in the transfer portal as far as recruiting? Oh, really well uh, and had to. Um, and he's not necessarily a fan of it. His quote to me earlier this year was, this thing needs guardrails, was what he said to me, because it seems like, as you guys know, it seems like it was a, maybe a, the idea had good intentions behind it. Let's not, you know, let's not penalize kids for wanting to make it this decision. But it was thrown in there as kind of a wild west type thing, you know, it it, it maybe does need some guardrails. So if you're going to compare the two, I'd say uh, up until recently, uh, Jay hated the, uh, the transfer portal. He called me the day it went live and talked my ear off for 45 minutes on how much he hated it and how it was bad. And it would turn, it would turn Nevada and Fresno state and San Jose state. It would turn programs like that into minor league farm teams for the Pac-12, basically, was his worry. That, like, let's say you do a really good job on the recruiting trail. You you bring in this great receiver. You develop him for two years. He starts getting whispers in his ear. And next thing you know, he's at UCLA. That, that, right. was, that was kind of Jay's thing. Um, of course, I mean, you know, let's, we're all adults here. It didn't stop him from taking, you know, nine Nevada guys with him, you know, when he went to Colorado State. So um, Ken embraced it. it in the sense that, first of all, he's from Oregon, and I think maybe was more familiar with, as you said, how this thing works at the Power Five level. I mean, you're talking really, really good football players who, for some reason, it could be playing time. They miss their girlfriend. It, it doesn't, you know, for some reason they, they want a new location. And I think you you need a little bit of expertise in that if you can if you can get it because Nevada normally would not be getting transfers from Michigan and Arizona. Uh, four guys from Oregon, guy from Liberty. Um, that's not who we usually get. And in, in the past, our transfers were West Coast guys who, again, maybe weren't getting the playing time or whatever, but they were more, you know, these would be more Idaho State guys or <clears throat> or even maybe a guy from Kansas or something, you know. But these these big, big programs sending their players to us hasn't been the case up until this year. So I'd give Ken high marks in that he was – announced on like December, I want to say December 10th, he was announced. And I mean, he had this introductory press conference and he jumped in his car and went recruiting. I mean, because he knew how far behind he was. Um, The high school class was minimal. I mean, the high school class initially only announced two guys. I think it's up to four now. Um, It was all JC guys and transfers. And he knew, how do we build a, how do we build something that can take the field on August 27th against New Mexico State. Well, we have to build it quickly. And um, so I give him pretty high marks. Uh, what's funny is I don't think he's a huge fan of it, but I give him high marks for it. And I, I think it's clear this has been done at, at the, uh, you know, from the basketball standpoint. I, I think of Iowa State, you know, last year going from a two, being a two win team to being a team in the Sweet 16 this year. It's, it's, it's easier to do that via the transfer portal in basketball. It's hard. Very hard to do it in football, but I would I would guess that it could be done to where Nevada becomes, uh, at least I mean I, I would project them. I'm you much more knowledgeable than I am, Duke, but I would still project them as a bold team. Uh, they're one of yeah. the better teams in that conference year in and year out. The the faith in the in in what Ken has done thus far, are they a six and sixteen this year in your mind? Yeah, they're they're close. They're they're right there. I mean, they are the the universal five and seven, six and six, seven and five. I mean, they're, 
they're right in there. Um, you know, Iowa, just to use an example, that's a loss. So that, that brings you to an 11 game season that they've got to, you know, to, to, to get six wins in 11 tries basically. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it's so hard to say. I mean, like if we were having this conversation a year ago, it'd almost be the opposite. We'd be talking about Nevada's depth and the great receivers and they're going to win the mountain West and, and all these things. And all of that is gone, which, you know, I get it. It's college sports. It happens, but it is so weird. I was out at spring practice and I mean, I don't usually have to have the roster with me, but you know, I had the roster and I've been like, who are these guys? And, and it was just, that's the level they're at right now. So, you know, there's some strengths. The team has some strengths. The running backs are good. Um, the secondary is good. But it has some just open positions, more or less. I mean, I asked Ken straight up if he had a depth chart, and the answer was pretty much no. I mean, you know, other than the running backs, maybe. Um, so, you know, I don't know. What, what does this team do? It, it, completely falling apart, they're three and nine. Um, you know, pulling off an upset, beating Boise State again or something, they're seven and five. So I think it's fair to say they're going to be one of those teams, you know, that like ESPN does 52 articles a year on who's, you know, like uh, on the edge of the bowl games and all that. Nevada's going to be in every one of those articles. Well, again, it, it, for anybody who it maybe is a Wolfpack fan who tuned in, um, if there's any hope to again generate success quickly, it might be via the transfer portal as much as a lot of us may hate that. It might be via the transfer portal. It sounds like Ken has done very good in that regard. Uh, is there any, are there any hard feelings towards Jay Norvell? I, I, you, you, you brought up the fact that he took what nine players with him. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, I, <laughs> I think that's an interesting conversation to have because Duke, you, you and I both know that there are rules against tampering and technically a, an opposing coach cannot speak with a player until he's, he or she is in, well, he specifically or Tom football is in the transfer portal. Were there hard feelings towards Norton Jay when that happened? Cause I do remember that being a news item. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there's different levels of it. Um, around the program, it's very much we don't mention the past. Um, and that started after the bowl game. Um, if you bring him up, they'll say, you know, he did good things, um, whatever. But, you know, and then they'll just deflect. Hey, hey, Duke, can we, you know, can we talk about this year's team or whatever? Sure. That's, a, you know, that's around the program. Um, around town, it's almost universal negativity. It, it was, there's... There's some things that didn't sit well. Um, going to a conference rival was the stunning part to me. Um, I remember it was a Sunday night. I went to bed, and, I, and Jay was still employed at Nevada. And I got up Monday, and people are calling, and I need to get on this story. And I'm like, well, he did he get the – I forget what. There was, like, only two jobs open, and I'm like, one of them was, like, Temple. I'm like, did Jay go to Temple? What's going on here? And it was turned out to be Colorado State. And I'm like, oh, my God, you don't go to a conference rival. I mean, that's just we did the research. Uh, Mountain West has only been around since, well, not forever, early 90s. But it's the first football coach to go from one to one with no gap. Um, you know, he went from one member school to another member school with no no year off. Rocky Lawn, obviously, has coached at, at two Mountain West schools. But um, it was weird. And the negativity started almost right away in terms of, you went to a conference rival. And if you remember my favorite part about this is that was the final regular season game and Nevada beat him 52 to 10 and it should have been a running clock. And if you remember Steve Adazio actually got ejected from the game, the Colorado state coach. So his final act was getting ejected from the game. Then the next thing, you know, not long after they have a new coach, it happens to be the guy who just won the game. So it was crazy. There's negativity. There's a certain, and I don't know what all, maybe all fan bases are this way, but a certain lack of reality of how this level works in terms of we're, you know, it's university of Nevada. We, we lose guys to bigger schools all the time. We lose Eric Musselman. You know, we, we, we lost Mark Fox to Georgia. Um, we've lost baseball coaches to really good baseball schools. It kind of is how it works. So the difference was the, why is Colorado State better than Nevada? Why would you go there? I mean, yeah, they're throwing a few dollars at you, but why? And so, um, oh, it's bitter. It, 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 there's some Twitter stuff I just ignore because it really gets kind of bitter. And um, that's a guaranteed sellout. They play here October 
I should probably know this, October something, um, guaranteed sellout. I mean, it'll be a madhouse. I believe it's the game right after Iowa. I, I have the, let me pull up the schedule. Um, no, it's yeah, two apps. Yeah. They play Air Force on the road, then they have a uh, week off, and then they get Colorado State in Reno. So, um, yeah, get your get your ticket now because it's going to be yeah, it's going to well, be crazy. Uh, uh, Duke, we have uh, coach former Iowa uh, offensive coordinator Don Patterson on this show quite a bit, and I know he's got a lot of respect for Jay, but uh, I know that move was a bit criticized by the outside, and understandably so. Um, last question I really have for you, Duke, and it, it relates to. Um, that game, uh, Iowa, Iowa, Nevada specifically, um, you may or may not be familiar with Iowa's struggles offensively, um, inability to run and get a push despite having the country's best center in Tyler Linderbaum struggles at quarterback. Iowa's refusal to really, um, go after whether it be a quarterback or, uh, skill position players are obviously strong at tight end as they always are. Is there a specific aspect of Iowa's sputtering offense that you do feel maybe Nevada's defense can take advantage in, in Kinnick? Possibly. I, I, I think two of the stronger areas on the team, the, the strongest area of the team might be the secondary. So that's where there's three, there's three returning players in the secondary, and then the whole rest of the team only has three total. So, um, so as an example, just a possibility, let's say the Iowa passing game does struggle a bit. Maybe Nevada picks off an early pass or something like that. That could set a tone for, hey, you can't pass against us. And, you know, we're going to ride that as far as we can. Possibly. I mean, you know, you, it, we're really kind of projecting here. And then Nevada's uh, D-line, uh, which is going to, my understanding, they've said we're going to, uh, it's technically a four-man front. What they want to do is show different packages on every play. They want to shift on every play. Um, they want to give... As an example, the Hawkeyes a different look. No, no, no two same looks on two consecutive plays. Um, if they can pull that off and maybe force a couple of punts, then I think maybe you've got a low scoring game. And in my opinion, Nevada's only hope is is a low scoring game. If this is any kind of shootout, the the talent level at Iowa is eventually going to tell in the second half, and, and that will be that'll be a case where. Nevada ends up losing, you know, 44 to 28 and maybe a moral victory, but they still kind of got blown off the field. Um, in my opinion, the only hope is something like 14 to 10 at halftime and then see what happens in the second half. Um, I think maybe if Iowa dares them, like I started off saying, if Iowa dares them in the secondary and Nevada maybe picks off that early pass, maybe we have a ball game, you know, more, maybe more so than I'm expecting right now. And, and Iowa fans will recall that, uh, Iowa played with fire against another Mountain West school in Colorado State last year and uh, I believe trailed at halftime in that game and found a way to win. But uh, you, you mentioned it, Duke. The key is for an Iowa Big Ten school putting a team like Nevada away early. You don't want to even give them the idea that they yeah. have a chance to pull off a shocking uh, result. Um, Steve Alford, I, you know, this is a football show, but let me just <laughs> add this before we leave. He's yeah. a guy who went from, I know he didn't go directly from a Mountain West school to a Mountain West school. Of course, he coached in New Mexico. He's an Iowa, former Iowa coach. I guess before we uh, sign off here, because uh, this is an Iowa show, just your thoughts on Steve Alford. Oh, it, it, I, he's uh, just amazing to talk to basketball-wise. Um, just, you know, one of my first sports books that I really loved was the Season on the Brink book, you know, for, from his playing days, the John Feinstein book. And to like finally meet the guy and all that, I was a little starstruck. And, and he, just to let you know, he, he loves the history of the game and he loves the fact that he's been in it uh, as a coach for 31 years. He will give us examples. He'll talk about Iowa all the time. He, he probably talks about New Mexico the most. I think he's kind of mad at UCLA and he talks about Iowa a lot. And, and I, so I think he, uh, the, the ups, the downs there, but you know, I think overall, you know, it had a huge impact on him. Um, but just talking basketball with the guy is is amazing. Now, they were massive underachievers last season and um, lost, again, the portal, which we've mentioned quite a bit. But lost, what were they up to? Five. To the, they've lost five to the portal. The backcourt's gone. The center's gone. They brought some decent guys in. And Steve, of course, in fact, I talked with him on Friday. He says he's old school. He admits he's old school. Not a huge transfer portal fan. Um, just in terms of, again, does this thing need a bit more legislation? Does it need to be kind of corralled a little bit? 
So he was upfront about that, but he's, he's adjusting because um, they only have one more scholarship left to give. So they've filled, what is, it? I think you can carry 15. I think they've filled 14 um, and they're all, you know, so they're basically ready to, to go. Um, but yeah, I'm kind of rambling a little bit here, but I just like talking basketball with the guy. It's just a, it's kind of a master class and a guy who has done everything from, you know, he was the best pl- high school player in his state. You know, he won an NCAA title. He won an Olympic gold medal and then a brief NBA career and then jumped right into this long coaching career. So it's just like, kind of like, I have a basketball question. I'm going to go ask Steve, you know, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's just fun to, to have all that knowledge coming in. Appreciate this uh, super chat from Lomansky and Duke uh, Rittenhouse of the Reno Gazette journal. Duke, appreciate the time this evening. Mm-hmm. And uh, we hope to have you on maybe the week of the game uh, because we'll yeah. know a lot more then we'll have a yeah. couple games <clears throat> under our belts and um, look forward to seeing the Wolfpack in, in Kinnick stadium. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to do it. Give me a call and and we'll do it. Yeah, as you said, we at least will know what the heck we're talking about. So, absolutely. Appreciate Duke Rittenhouse being here. For Mark Rogers, Corey Bratta, we will talk to you next week.